I'm thankful. Well, I found out this afternoon that I would be speaking tonight, and so I decided that I was going to capitalize. It's Valentine's Day weekend, and we still have some remnants of Valentine's up, so I thought, well, what better time to talk about love? And so I thought we would address love a little bit, but love is one of the most covered topics of the Bible. Probably the Bible speaks more about love than any other topic, and so I have to refine it a little bit. What I really want to look at narrowly is what is the relationship between love and suffering, or really love and sacrifice, right? How does love and sacrifice, how do we understand those and their relationship together? And I really just want to make two big points. One is that love is demonstrated by sacrifice, right? We know love, we experience love, we prove love. Love exists and is evident because of sacrifice. And my second point that I'll make tonight is that if we love, it doesn't feel like sacrifice, right? Love is measured and evidenced by sacrifice. But when you love, Those sacrifices are accompanied by joy, a joy that I'll read later that some missionaries who sacrificed their entire lives would say, I can hardly justify calling it a sacrifice because of the joy that came with it. Um, I think one thing that might help us to understand this relationship of sacrifice and love and how they work together is to get a to get a visual image and understanding. And so there's a video that I've loved. I, I first saw it a few years, well, not a few years, a few months before Ken and I got married. And it struck me deeply as I want my marriage to be like this. And so what I want to do before I get into reasons and talking about the logic behind sacrifice and love, I just want to watch a guy who modeled that. So we have a video, if we could share that video, and then we'll dive into it. While you're getting that here, I'll go ahead and I should have told you something about it since they're still getting that video up. The video is by a guy named Robertson. Uh, I think his last name is McQuilkin. He was the president of Columbia Bible College in their graduate school. And the video is about when he, basically he's announcing his retirement to care for his wife who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So the video is ready. We can go ahead and play it. Oh, we don't have audio. That's fine. The, the suspense just makes it that more exciting. His, uh, while we're waiting for the audio, if it comes on while I'm talking, he actually delivered this speech at, at his school in 1990. Um, so he retired from Columbia Bible College in 1990. In 1993, his wife quit recognizing him altogether. And she lived another 10 years, and he cared for her for 10 more years while she had no ability to recognize her. And I thought, sacrifice involved. But as you hear him talk about walking into that sacrifice, it's just laced with love. And it, to me, it's, it's inspirational and exciting. I hope that we can get the sound. If not, the, the words are up there, and we can read it, but.
What do you think? No sound? Okay. Um, just pause it for a second, if you don't mind. Here's what I'll do is I'll catch us up to where we are, and then I'll just read it along as it goes. And then if you can get it off YouTube, we'll watch it at the very end, just because I love to hear his voice from it. Um, up to this point, he's basically said that he's about to retire because she has Alzheimer's. And he said it's absolutely necessary for him to spend all of his time because when he is with her, she's almost happy, he says. But when I'm not with her, she's almost never happy. And he says that I want to be with her because, um, the, well, we'll read it. But anyway, he's going to give us... A I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me, and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health, till death do us part, and I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. Man. That's what I want my marriage to be like. So I'm going to pray this. We think through love and sacrifice, using that picture as some context for our thinking, that God will teach us to think well about love and sacrifice and to say at the end of it, like he did, it's not that I have to, it's that I get to. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word, for your love, and for your sacrifice on our behalf. We pray that as we think through these topics that you will give us clarity as I speak, that you will give me clarity of thought and presentation so that your wonderful love will shine through and we will be all the more in love with you. Pray this in your name. Amen.
I think Robertson McQuilkin's picture gives us two big ideas that we can walk away from. And one of those is that love is demonstrated through sacrifice. He knew that his wife loved him in part because for 40 years she had sacrificed. And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves her because he's willing to do the same for her and did so for 13 years, 10 of those in which she didn't even recognize him. That I know from that picture that love and sacrifice go together. But I want to show you that it's not just that picture. I think the Bible teaches us that love and sacrifice go together. I want to show you three ways, and the first way is the biggest. Three ways that I know that love and sacrifice go together. I know that love is marked by sacrifice because the greatest picture of love ever shown was marked by sacrifice. Right? Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his love by this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Is there a bigger sacrifice? How do we know what love is? 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must love one another. The way we know love is because God showed us love and God showed us. He taught us what love is by dying for us. He paid the greatest price, the most sacrificial act in the history of the world was when a perfect God stepped onto earth, took the form of a servant, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So I know that love consists in sacrifice because the greatest picture, the greatest demonstration of love that I've ever seen consisted in the greatest sacrifice in the history of the world. I also know that love is marked by sacrifice because that's the way God describes marriage. When God explains to us how a husband is to love his wife, he says, like Christ loved the church. Let me read it to you. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Why did Christ die, according to Ephesians 5? For the benefit of the church, right? He wanted to make her beautiful, without spot or blemish, to present her holy and undefiled to God. Why did Jesus sacrifice? For the benefit of someone else. And he says, that is what will mark your marriages. How do you love your wife? The exact same way that Christ loved the church, by giving himself for her benefit. He sacrificed his life for the benefit of another, and that's the way we're called to love. 
also know that love is marked by sacrifice because it's not only in these great pictures of God and in marriage, but that's the way that everyday life is marked in the church. Christians demonstrate love for each other by sacrificially loving each other. That's the point, I think. I'm going to read Philippians 2, 3 through 8, and it's going to tell us how to consider each other and love each other. Philippians 2, 3, it starts, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Make your attitude the same attitude as Jesus Christ, who, existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or something to be used as his, at his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself. He assumed the form of a slave. He took on the likeness of men, and when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How will the church love each other? By saying, my needs are less important than your needs. My desires are less important than your desires. I sacrifice my wants for your wants, my will for your will. I do that because God showed me what love is. That's what he did for me, and that's what I have to do for everyone whom he has made my brothers in this church, brothers and sisters. I know that love and sacrifice go together. I know that they go together because that's the picture of love that we were given by God. That's the commandment we follow in marriage. And I know that love and sacrifice go together because that's how we're told to interact with each other in the church. It brings up some interesting ideas. You, you might hear someone say, I love God, but I don't feel that I need to sacrifice for God or to give that much for God. I love God, but does that life need to be marked with suffering and sacrifice? And to which I would respond, it seems that you've you've changed the definition of love. If love to you and I can exist without a willingness to put God's needs above our needs, our husband's or wife's needs above our needs, and our fellow believers' needs above our needs, then we completely change the definition of love that God's given us. We cannot say we love someone and not demonstrate that by sacrificially putting them above ourselves. That's the definition of love. John Piper calls this a harsh and dreadful sacrifice. None more harsh and dreadful than what Christ himself endured. But Living a life in which I put others' needs in front of my own can be really hard. My 10 years of caring for a woman who didn't recognize him. And I'm not sure that his suffering was immensely greater than some that many of you in this room have walked through. Right? Loving people means sacrificing. It means sacrificing for people. And it can be a harsh and dreadful experience. But what we can't jump to the conclusion is that just because it is harsh and dreadful means that there's no joy in it. Let me read from John Piper. He said, first, don't jump to the conclusion 
that there is no joy in things that are harsh and dreadful. There are mountain climbers who have spent sleepless nights on the faces of cliffs and have lost fingers and toes in sub-zero temperatures and have gone through horrible misery to reach a peak. They say it was harsh and dreadful. But if you ask them why they do it, the answer will come back in various forms. There is an exhilaration in the soul that feels so good, it's worth all the pain. If this is how it is with mountain climbing, cannot the same be true of love? Is it not rather an indictment of our own worldliness that we are more inclined to sense exhilaration at mountain climbing than at conquering the precipices of unlove in our own lives and society? Because yes, love is often a harsh and dreadful thing, but I do not see how a person who cherishes what is good and admires Jesus can help but sense a joyful exhilaration when by grace he is able to love another person. And there is nothing more exciting in this world than love. The fact that you have a chance to mirror the love that God has shown you to other people is harsh and dreadful and exciting and exhilarating all at the same time. In fact, it's so exhilarating and it's so exciting that some of the people who have walked through some of the most intense suffering and sacrifice that I'm aware of said at the end, it was hardly a sacrifice at all. Let me read to you a missionary, David Livingston. This is what he said. Um, He gave a speech in 1857 at the University of Cambridge about his missionary journeys to Africa. And he said, for my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office as missionary. Because people talk about the sacrifice I've made, spending much of my life in Africa. He says, is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward? And he goes on to talk about the reward, helpful activity, consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, a birth hope of glorious destiny hereafter. Then he says this, away with the word and such a view and with such a thought, it is emphatically not a sacrifice. Say rather, it's a privilege. Anxiety and sickness and suffering, danger, knowing then with this foregoing, uh, that I'm foregoing common conveniences and charities of this life. They make us pause. They cause our spirit to waver and our soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these things are nothing when compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us and for us as I never made a sacrifice. Love is marked by harsh and dreadful sacrifice. But true love also teaches us that these sacrifices are mingled and really overshone by joy exhilaration, and excitement. There's some reasons that I think that sacrifice is overshone by joy. I'm going to give you three. The first one is I know that sacrifice is a joy because it gives us the opportunity to watch God work in us and to watch God work through us. Let me read a little bit lengthy passage from 2 Corinthians In 2 Corinthians, Paul's talking to the church about their gift to the other churches. There were some churches that were poor, and the Corinthians were pretty poor themselves, but they took up a collection and they gave it. And Paul comments on their sacrificial giving. He says, remember this, 
The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you can excel in every good work. As it is written, he scattered, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. It's now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this servant, of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving. He said, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity and sharing with them and with others through the proof provided by this service. And they will have a deep affection for you in their prayers on your behalf because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. He's saying there's joy in sacrifice because your sacrifices produce something that's worth being excited about. When you sacrificially give of your time or your money or your person or whatever you sacrificially give of, people see that and they glorify God. People see that and they're converted to say, this is a God worth following because his followers will give everything for People see that and they say, I am so thankful for what they've done for me. And they respond, he said, by having deep affection and continual prayers for these people. He says, when you demonstrate your love sacrificially, as you reap a reward for that, if you sow sparingly, if you sacrifice only the bare minimum, you will reap sparingly. But if you give your life to service of God and to taking care of and blessing his people, you will reap, what do you say, generously. You sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you will reap generously. Let me tell you a second reason. A second reason I know that sacrifice is joy. I know that sacrifice is joy because when the people we loved are blessed, then we are blessed, right? When we see the people we love happy, then we're happy ourselves. I think we see that. I'm going to return back to the Ephesians passage in in marriage, right? This is Paul's point. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her and washing her of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. And this, listen to this. He says, in the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, since we are members of his body. When you love sacrificially, and that blesses the people you love, you are blessing yourself. We spoke about that this morning. We're all members of a body. 
And when he, one member of the body suffers, every member of the body suffers. And when one member of the body is blessed, every member is blessed with him. And so we sacrificially take care of the people we love because their joy is our joy. I never understood that I saw this picture for basically my entire life until I was much older. I always just thought my dad never cared about anything for himself. Right? My mom and my dad both worked countless hours. And they would give my sister and I things. My mom worked extra jobs to put my sister and I through a Christian school. Um, it was pretty hard for us to, at times to even afford all of our clothes and food. And they worked hard. And my dad had no hobbies. Right? My dad had... My mom drove cars that always humiliated her. We had a giant diesel, those 88 diesel Oldsmobiles, you know what I'm talking about? And it was huge. And so she rolls into carpool, and it's like a semi-truck, loud, and she's humiliated by it. And I know that they could have easily afforded really nice new cars. But they poured their time and their money into my sister and I. And I always just thought, they must not care about nice new cars. They must, my sister and I, we care about our things, but mom and dad don't. What I never realized is it wasn't that they didn't care about these things. is that they found a greater joy in giving to my sister and I. And that was completely lost on me until I started to get a little bit older. I realized my dad wasn't morose about his giving to me. He never thought I would give things to my kids but, oh, this really stinks. I never got that impression because he loved to give to me. My mom happily took on extra jobs because she loved me. She didn't do this begrudgingly. She did it out of joy because her joy was my joy. Her joy was seeing me and seeing my sister succeed, have a good education. She wanted the best for me, and as she provided that, that brought her joy. Point is, when you sacrifice for someone you love, you still get joy because the person you love, their joy is your joy. Let me tell you one last reason. I know that sacrifice is joy, because I believe that Jesus sacrificed for his joy. This is an amazing passage. Hebrews 12, 2. The writer of Hebrews says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, in what way can you possibly say enduring the cross is joy? And of course, we know the story, the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. This wasn't a minor sacrifice. But nonetheless, he willingly and even, even joyfully endured the sacrifice. Why? Because he loved because he loved us and because he loved his father, whom he glorified. 
that love made the greatest act of sacrifice and suffering in the history of the world a joyful experience for the Son of God. Isn't that wild? Isn't it wild that Jesus can say, I suffered on the cross joyfully? Those are two big points. If we love, that will be demonstrated by our willingness to sacrifice. That's true of our love for God. That's true of our love for our spouses. And that's true of our love for one another. At the same time, if we love, our sacrifice will be mingled with joy. It's mingled with joy because we believe that God can produce good out of our sacrifice. He can use it for his glory. He can use it to increase affection and our love and others' love for us. That God can use these sacrifices. That they're not given in vain. We can experience joy because we know that the joy of the person I'm sacrificing for is my joy. I'm happy when the people I love are happy, and I'm sad when the people I love are sad. And it can be joy for us to suffer and to sacrifice because we model a God who is able to have joy in his sacrifice. I want to close then by asking just two questions that follow up on that. One is, is your life marked by suffering for people you love? Are you willing to suffer for Christ, for your spouse, and for his church? Are there things in your life that you've said, I have put these behind me in order to pursue a greater joy? And that brings me to the second, is is there joy in your sacrifice? Do you sacrifice with a pouty face, with a morose spirit? Yeah, I keep the nursery, but these kids are smelly and they drool everywhere. You know, I've done all this work at the church and nobody recognized it or I didn't get the pat on the back. Is my joy sucked out of my act of sacrifice? If so, it seems that my love has also been sucked out of these sacrificial acts. That says I don't desire acts of sacrifice. I desire mercy, love, and charity. Mercy will expose itself, demonstrate itself, and prove itself in sacrifice. But what he wants is love. He wants love. I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to open up the altar and have a time where um, John or Jeannie or somebody would like to lead us in music and we can respond. But I'm going to pray just to, to start us in a time of response, saying, God, how can I demonstrate sacrificial love toward you toward my spouse, and toward your church. And I want us to also think, God, how can I experience joy in these acts of sacrifice? Let's pray and we'll respond. Dear Lord, the most amazing thing about love and sacrifice is that you demonstrated it first. 
This is love, not that we loved you, but that you loved us and gave yourself for us. So we ask that you train our hearts and teach us to love sacrificially and joyfully the way you first loved us. Draw me close. In your name I pray, amen. Draw me close to you. Yeah, go ahead and start playing that. The altar is open if you'd like to respond. I hope that everyone here respond in some way, whether you come forward or not, by saying, here's how I want to love. You can stand.